We've made it to the end of season one. I can't believe it. Today we're talking the finale. Ricky asks for a raise. Hello, my beautiful Tropicanas. Welcome back to the Ricardo Project, the podcast where we watch through I Love Lucy episode by episode and talk about its historical, comedic, and emotional impact. My name is Dana, and I can't believe we're here at the season finale of the first season of I Love Lucy, season one, episode 35, Ricky Asks for a Raise, which premiered 70 years ago today, June 9th, 1952. I just want to say thank you to anyone who is listening to this right now, whether this is your first episode or you've been listening from the beginning. I am so grateful that you've stuck it out with me as I've learned how to do this podcast And I'm so unbelievably touched to have hit 10,000 downloads as of last week. Um, It's not like a a huge amount of downloads, I'm sure, by any real podcasting standards. I think my friend LA over at Unsinkable Podcast has like 10 times as many as me. But I Love Lucy is a really uh, niche subject to talk about, especially a recap podcast of a 70-year-old show. And, you know, 10,000 podcast downloads was kind of my goal when I uh, thought about starting this, you know, and to hit it before we've even hit the end of the first season, to hit it last week, um, you know, that was kind of like my, oh, wouldn't this be wonderful if um, goal, and I can't believe we did it. So uh, whether you've listened once or whether you've listened to every episode, I'm so, so grateful to you for being here. And, um, you know, we have like eight, we have like seven years left together because, uh, we're going to do all six seasons of I Love Lucy and then the two years of the the Lucy Desi comedy hour. So you're stuck with me for a while. Uh, I'm really committed to finishing this project. Obviously season two will begin in the fall so that we continue to premiere episodes on their 70th anniversary. So over the summer, I'm going to be taking a short break. I'll address this at the end of the episode, um, and then I'll be back with some bonus episodes, some hiatus episodes about behind-the-scenes stuff about the show and also some kind of Lucy universe episodes is what I'm calling them in my outlines. Um, But enough about that. Let's get into the episode, which is why you're here. So here's what happens in Ricky Asks for a Raise. The Littlefields have returned. After a two-episode break, they are back. They're coming over to dinner at the Ricardos, and Lucy comes out looking super adorable. But apparently, this is supposed to be an example of how terrible she looks and how poor she looks because she's wearing a house dress, and she hasn't done her hair. And she's doing this because Ricky needs to ask Mr. Littlefield if he can have a raise in his new contract. And Lucy rightfully identifies that Ricky is very scared of asking for this raise, and she makes Ricky practice what he's going to say. Unfortunately for everyone involved, Ricky is terrible at negotiating, and he's even worse at capitalism because he says, oh, well, if he wants to give me a raise, he'll give me a raise. Like, I don't need to try that hard. And Lucy very astutely points out that nobody ever wants to give anybody a raise, that you have to demand it and remind people of why you are invaluable. And I wish I'd watched this episode the last time I was asking for a raise because she's absolutely correct. 
So Lucy makes him practice again, but this time he plays Mr. Littlefield and she plays Ricky and she pretends to have other offers and talks about how she needs to go somewhere else. You know, kind of the basics, you know, leveraging your higher ability. And Ricky thinks this is great. And so this is the plan. So after dinner, the Littlefields are perfectly content. Apparently Lucy makes an incredible cheesecake that our our gal Phoebe is going to try to recreate. Um, I noticed that Lucy did not end up changing or doing her hair at all. She really went through with her charade that they're starving um, with her house coat. It's time for Ricky to ask if he can have a raise. And he begins nervous, but he actually does start out pretty strong. Um, But then he backs out immediately. His little voice breaks and he he asks really weakly for a raise. And Mr. Littlefield says, says no right away. So Lucy jumps in and starts bluffing that there's all these other offers he could take that would pay him three times as much. And Ricky uh, must have taken an improv class at some point because he just, he he leans in and he says that he's had 12 offers, which is yes-anding a little too much, you know, but good for him for swinging for the fences. Mr. Littlefield thinks about it and he says this is a terribly tough decision but that he can't hold him back and that he, sh- he should take the other offers. And, and Ricky ends up quitting in frustration. So the next morning, Ethel shows up at the Ricardo apartment and notes that someone else is performing at the Tropicana. And Lucy fills her in on the unfortunate efforts of the Ricardos that ended up with Ricky being unemployed. And at that exact moment, uh, a very mopey Ricky comes out and says that he's heading to the unemployment office. He's so sad. Which leads Lucy and Ethel to decide that they have to get him his job back. And they decide to make that happen by booking all these tables at the Tropicana and um, canceling so that the place is empty for the new opening. Which makes me honestly so sad for the new guy, Xavier Valdez. Like, this poor man. I know that he's fictional, but he has dreams too. Like, imagine hearing that you sold out your new club gig and then no one shows up. That would break me as a performer. I would be devastated. But I'm going to have to set that aside because the rest of the episode's really great. So, but I just wanted to pour one out for Xavier Valdez, I guess. So Lucy begins calling the Tropicana um, to make all these reservations. There are 75 tables, so they have to book 75. Good grief. Um, We get some fun voices as she makes these reservations. We even get a great Tallulah Bankhead impersonation again, which is always so fun. So between Lucy and Ethel, they book all the tables as all these different characters. They exhaust the maitre d' Maurice in the process. And Lucy and Ethel are celebrating their success with Fred until Fred points out that people might not notice that uh, no one came because of Ricky. It'll just make Xavier Valdez, the poor man, look bad. But Fred has a friend who's a quick change artist, and they can borrow his wardrobe, and then that way they can play all the guests, and they can storm out as soon as they learn that Ricky Ricardo isn't performing. It's actually a really good – I wouldn't say it's a good scheme. I mean, I think eventually they'd notice that it was the same three people over and over, but it's not their worst idea. At least they had, like, costumes and stuff, right? So we're at the Tropicana. Apparently, the Tropicana seats 300 people. They are not going to impersonate all those people, but my God. And they they come in beginning the charade as this, like, British society trio. And they loudly pronounce that they're so thrilled to see Ricky Ricardo. And when they're told he's not performing, they storm out. And Lucy calls Mr. Littlefield a peasant as she leaves, which is a very hilarious touch. 
And then we get to see them behind the Tropicana doing the quick change, which was a really cool detail that didn't really add anything to the episode. I just liked that they were showing the like theatrical mechanics of it. Even though Fred was moving so slow for a quick change artist, like he is not the vaudevillian he once was. So some time goes by. The club is starting to sweat because no one's arriving. Fred and Ethel come in, British again, and Lucy comes in as this like gum-smacking blonde. She looks fly as hell. Her hat matches her suits. It's a really cool pattern. It's a very Judy Holiday impression. She's she's kind of acting like a gun mall a little bit. Like it's fun. It's really different because there's so much Britishness and so many like European accents happening. This character feels really fun to me. Um, she even calls the Tropicana a crummy dump when she finds out that Ricky Ricardo ain't here no more. And Lucy, in that character, rubs salt in the wound a little bit by telling Mr. Littlefield essentially that he's an idiot for letting Ricky go. And finally, the last little vignette of this, all three of them come in back together as these European people. Seems like Ethel is supposed to be a countess. And Fred is just in the loveliest drag. His lipstick, actually really his whole makeup, I think it must have been the inspiration for whatever happened to baby Jane. That's all I could think about, except he's also wearing a sequined cap. He's really feeling the fantasy, but his makeup could have used a little work. But again, quick change. So finally, after this trio has a problem, Mr. Littlefield calls Ricky back to get him um, to get him to return to the club. And they all saunter out, and Fred's really sashaying. And that night, Ricky comes home, and he's so pleased at how popular he is that he didn't actually take the offer to return to the Tropicana because he could write his own ticket anywhere. And that's the episode, and that's the season. Ugh. Y'all, I really like this episode. And I warned you all that this would happen last week, but now we're going to enter a slight reflection on Fred Mertz, my wonderful, unbothered favorite. This episode uses a lot of convention of classic comedy from the vocal and physical work that it takes for them to put on so many characters to the moment that made me sing the song of my people, which was Fred in drag. And to be clear, men have been dressing as women from the beginning of theater because in many, many cultures, women weren't allowed to participate in theater. So gender has always been performative and performed, which is one of the reasons why it's so fun to play with. And it's one of the reasons that like drag as an art form, the way that we think of it now, you know, especially in the day of RuPaul's Drag Race, um, it's one of the reasons why drag is so fantastic to witness. In comedy, things do get a little murkier. Um, When drag is used in comedy, it can sometimes move towards the unkind. Sometimes we see underlying homophobia in the performance of femininity by a man or misogyny in the way they perform said femininity. Like, as we've discussed many, many times, it's all about where the joke is directed. And, and you know, I have to admit that, like, many, many times when men dress as women in comedy, the joke can be directed in a mean way. Uh, which leads me back to this tiny seemingly insignificant moment of Fred and drag in this episode, because this is a great example of how to do it. (laughs) There's, there's no hesitation. There's no like wink to the audience. The character of Fred Mertz, he dresses a woman because he needed to be a woman for this moment. 
There's no jokes from Littlefield or Maurice the maitre d' that, you know, check out the ugly lady. Um, he never drops character. It's just that. It's a character. It's it's the person he needed to perform in that moment. Um, and it really is the way that comics should handle this kind of role. It's, it's void of um, any kind of societal expectations or acknowledgement to the audience that like, this is a funny thing I'm doing. And it's, it's certainly void of toxic masculinity. And you can see, like I said, Fred is feeling the fantasy. He's sashaying away. He's got the sparkly hat on. He's invested in the character. It's, it's well-made comedy. It's kind of in the vein of Shakespeare's style of gendered performances. And I know that that's probably sounds like a huge stretch, but like, that's the lineage. And this exemplifies my favorite thing about Fred, because I love Fred. Ethel says in an earlier episode about Fred wanting to kind of get in on one of Lucy and Ethel's schemes, she just says, you got to give him one thing. He's willing to do it. Fred is always ready and able to help his friends out. He's always up for the task. He is supportive in a way that Ricky certainly isn't. And I and I, I just can't really think of another man in this era who is supportive of the women in his life the way that Fred is. And... I know that he can be a shitty husband. Like, I know he's not a great husband to Ethel, especially as the show goes on. But he never doubts her talent or her skills or Lucy's ideas um, or his ability to fully participate in the scheme and help the girls. And for that, I love Fred Mertz. And I love this episode for him. It's a great episode for Fred. (laughs) And I also want to think about this episode as a representation of what I love about the show as a whole. One of my very best friends and I were talking about how through this rewatch, I'm seeing more and more clearly that the key relationship of I Love Lucy is all four of these people together. And I didn't really realize that before this rewatch. I never thought about it one way or the other. I'd kind of subconsciously I mean, I'd always thought of like Lucy and Ethel as kind of the main duo, but I'd always subconsciously categorized the show as Lucy and Ricky with with their friends, Fred and Ethel, or the two dynamic duos of Lucy and Ethel versus Ricky and Fred. Like I knew it was an ensemble piece, but I'd separated them out like that without really thinking too much about it. But now I see that Fred's participation in the plot of each episode as led by Lucy and Ethel is critical. And, and it's a sense of responsibility that Lucy, Ethel, Fred, and Ricky, although to be fair, Ricky less of the time, um, but it's a sense of responsibility to each other that drives the show. Each person in this foursome is devoted to the foursome. Their worlds revolve around each other. They drop any plans they had for the day to make 75 reservations at the Tropicana or to have a psychiatrist come help when one is a kleptomaniac or when they need to host a seance to help Ricky get a gig. It's, it's to, to me, this is really the, the core moral of the story. It's a different kind of domesticity. It's the kind you dream of in college, you know, when you say like, oh, I wish I could just live with all my friends and we could hang out all the time. The Ricardos and the Mertzes are doing that. They're each other's families and each other's homes. And sure, they show up for each other in some pretty wild schemes. And sometimes, like in the publicity agent, um, 
The schemes are at someone in the group's expense, but they're still there, day in and day out, loyal and loving and unable to exist without each other. There's a joke that may also be a true story, it's hard to say, about Desi Arnaz, um, thinking he's the title character of the show because he's the I in I Love Lucy. But the I could easily be Ethel or even Fred because they all love each other so much. And as we wrap up the first season and prepare for five more plus two Lucy Desi comedy hour years, I couldn't be happier to end here with the central theme of I Love Lucy being four best friends being best friends, doing best friend things. All right, time for some historical notes to wrap this season up. So the Mertzes um, have a friend who's a quick change artist, and his name is Hal King, and that's who supplies all the costumes for the Tropicana part. Hal King is a reference to the show's makeup artist, who was also, ironically enough, the brother-in-law of Max Factor, which is not necessarily a Big name in makeup now, but was a huge deal back in the day. Um, so that's a fun little Easter egg. They do this a lot where they'll kind of reference someone who's involved in the show as a character, as a, an unseen character. Maurice, the maitre d', was played by Maurice Marsac. He was actually French. That wasn't an accent he was putting on for the moment. And he comes back in the episode Paris at Last when they go to Europe. Um, he's the one who serves Lucy Snails. So we'll see him again. I enjoyed him. I thought he was very charismatic. And then finally, my favorite historical note of all, Lucille Ball found out that she was pregnant again while filming this episode. And um, we might go into this over the hiatus, but Lucy and Desi had a had a tough time with, with pregnancy. Lucy had both of her children after the age of 40, and it was uh, – that was not by design necessarily. They wanted children earlier. And um, so this was a very exciting – exciting moment for them. Um, when they realized, though, that Lucille was pregnant, of course, that made things a little tricky because they thought that that would mean that the show had to end, um, especially because she found out during the finale. But Jess Oppenheimer, who was the showrunner, just decided that Lucy should be pregnant on TV and off. And it's not the first pregnancy on television, but it was certainly the most public. Um, and also the most innovative for television. So because she was pregnant... They actually extended their shooting schedule and shot four episodes before they began their summer hiatus. So they filmed the first four episodes of the second season kind of out of necessity really early. And then when they, when they came back in early August, they just, I mean, they filmed like crazy until Lucy gave birth. And um, we will cover that next season a little bit more in detail. But that's it for this episode. So... Next week, <laughs> we will be watching nothing. I w am really hoping to be back next week with kind of a season wrap-up, some sort of episode of some kind. But I'll be honest. Um, I have mentioned this before. I'm having a baby, and I'm due in just a couple of weeks. I'm due kind of any day now at this point. Um, and I will be taking a few weeks off because it's my first child and I think that's fair to take a few weeks off to stare at my child and be like, wow, look at that. I made that baby. But I will be back before the summer ends with bonus episodes about production and some Lucy adjacent profiles, like I said. And I'm going to miss you very much until then. I'm hoping to get into this a little bit more in detail, but um, I'm kind of worried that I won't be back next week because 
I'm just, you know, it could be, it's one of those things. Babies decide when they come, not the other way around. So I'll just say, um, I found out I was pregnant the day this podcast premiered (laughs) and now I'm ending the first season with just a couple weeks to go before I meet this child. And I don't think that's a coincidence. It's been a real privilege to be here with all of you and to talk about this show and to think critically about something I love so much and to meet new people from across the world. And I started this podcast because I wanted to re-engage with something that made me feel really alive when I was younger and that really spurred my creativity. And it's, I feel like it's really done that. And, you know, I, I'm just very, very humbled and I'm very, very grateful. And I'm, I'm so glad uh, I'm just, I'm just out of words. <laughs> I have no words. Um, if you need me for any reason, you know where to find me. I'm on Instagram and I have an email address that I'll list at the end. And it's also in the description. Um, if you've enjoyed this season of the Ricardo project, I hope you will join me for the hiatus and for season two. I hope you'll be patient while I'm gone. Thank you so much for listening and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to The Ricardo Project. Uh, pretty overwhelming to me, honestly. If you'd like to get in touch with any reason whatsoever, I would absolutely love to hear from you. You can reach me on Instagram at The Ricardo Project, on Twitter at Ricardo underscore project, and by email at the Ricardo Project at gmail.com. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast and telling a friend about it. If you would like to support the podcast, there's a couple of great ways to do it. You can buy a book off of my bookshop shop. There's a lot of books about Lucy and about Hollywood production in there. Um, Any book that you buy that's in my bookshop shop, you get. And then I get a small commission off of that. So it's a great way to support the podcast um, without just like making a donation. Like you get something for it, obviously. You get a great book. Um, If you would like to make a donation to the podcast, there is a PayPal link in the description. And that is a one-time donation. uh, No strings attached. Have a wonderful weekend, and I will be back soon.